Thank you, Pastor John. And with that, turn to your Bibles in Matthew chapter 8. Uh, I don't know if you guys know, but uh, Pastor John, I think that's one of the requirements of being a pastor. You've got to be able to at least play one sport and play the guitar or you're in trouble. You know, before uh, I actually left, my wife, uh, she was at the door and I said bye to her. And she said, Seth, just one more thing. And I was ready for like something like dramatic. And she just looked at me with the serious eyes. You know, I talked about the eyes. And she said, don't eat too much. <laughs> All I can say is forget it. I told uh, Dr. Steve and uh, even Pastor Dave, like, man, what happens here? Let's keep it here. <laughs> you know how they say what happens in Chicago stays in Chicago. Uh, they've been feeding me so well, and it's just been great. Even last night, I was just kind of thinking about it when I went back to my hotel uh, room. By the way, it's, it's a real nice hotel, and uh, they've been spoiling me so much. But as I was just kind of uh, there in my hotel room, I was so exhausted. I was so tired. I didn't get much sleep the night before. And just my heart was just filled with thanks. And the reason why is because literally my whole Chicago world came crashing in together. It was like worlds colliding. Uh, I saw some people that I haven't seen for years. And they were in high school together with me. And I'm just like, wow. You know, some of us did grow graciously and um, got old graciously and so it was awesome just to see some people from high school years and also as some of you might not have known this but I served as a youth pastor over at Hebron uh, back in the 90s and so I've seen some of these guys that were in my youth group and now some of them are pastors some of them are just serving faithfully all over here in Chicago and I just had to like take a little step back I'm like wow you guys you have two kids now, you know, and they're yours, you know, I, I'm just like, wow, amazing. These guys are like grown up um, men and women of God and just encouraged to see that. And then I saw some of these guys that I saw from college and I haven't seen them for such a long time. And so all my worlds were just coming together. And I was like, it was just, I was just so thankful uh, that how God, regardless of what path that we have taken and many of the ups and downs that we have been through, the one thing that we can say is that our God is faithful. Amen? Uh, he is faithful, and he will always be faithful, uh, even when we're unfaithful. And so it was such an encouragement just to see that. So uh, praise God. Amen? Turn to somebody next to you and say, hey, good looking. <laughs> Go ahead. See, this, this is when it gets weird, right? Brothers, let me tell you something. Check this out. See, if there was somebody you liked, this is the time. You should have been sitting right next to them. See, you gotta, we got to talk before we get it, get, you know, come in here. So say good looking. Go ahead, tell them. Go ahead, just say it. Just turn to somebody and say, hey, good looking. I'm excited to worship with you. Okay. You guys don't do that kind of stuff here. All right, let's... Uh, Let's just pack it up and get out of here. All right. Come on now. You know, somebody was asking me, like, you're like you know, you kind of have, like, this little, like, ghetto thing. And, you know, I, sometimes I try to be really, I don't know, just try to be proper. But those of you who don't know, my parents had a store in Southside Chicago, 75th in Exchange. 
Uh, that's where all the gunshots and all that stuff. So ever since I was about seven or eight around there, I would always go on the weekends to help out at the store. And so that's a little bit of my background. So there's a little bit of a gangster <laughs> side of me. So sometimes I might communicate certain things very directly, but I, I love you. And Jesus loves you. That's what's most important. You know, you come in here, yeah. <laughs> okay, anyway, uh, Matthew chapter 8, starting from verse 23. Just uh, have your finger on your Bible there or just uh, on your phone. Uh, I'm wondering how many of you are animal lovers. Can, can I be bold? Go ahead and raise your hand. Lord bless you. Um, I'm not much of an animal lover. I, I don't mind them behind like in a zoo somewhere and I'm looking at them. But I was amazed at just looking at animals and the animal kingdom. You can, you can learn a lot. And especially when it comes to the mother, whatever it may be, the mother bear or the, the mother horse or the mother tiger. When you look at that relationship that the mother has with that child or the, not child, but that animal, the baby animal, it's amazing. The love and, and the passion and the protection that the mother will have for that baby. So I wanted to show you this quick video, and uh, there's no sound. I mean, there's no talking, because we're in the animal kingdom. Uh, Just try to imagine, you're going to be in nature. And I want you to just watch this very carefully, because there's a lesson that I want to piggyback off on and start this message on Matthew chapter 8, starting from verse 23. So uh, let's watch this video together. Amen. You knew it was going to have a happy ending with all these animal lovers out here. I don't know about you, but there are many times that I feel like that cub. Uh, Just going through the daily routine of life, sometimes the busyness of life. And then we're struck with a situation unexpectedly and it comes at us, overwhelms us. And I don't know what it is, but it just feels as if you're just kind of all alone. And that's in that moment when you realize that there's somebody there who loves you and cares for you. I don't know where you are right now this evening, especially as you came here to this revival meeting. But one thing I can probably say is that all of us at one point in our lives, or we will in the future, go through very difficult times. And the question is this, as we go through some of these storms or difficulties... Uh, how are we to move forward with the strength that God has, he has for us in our lives? Uh, I'm just wondering how we normally respond to situation that produces fear in our hearts. Uh, I don't know about you, but there are many times when I've become very cynical, self-sufficient. Rather than turning to God, I turn to myself turn to my own resources. And tonight, I just feel like a passage that I know many of you are familiar with, but I'm praying that God will speak to us and really understand once again the importance of having faith in this great God. And so there's one thing I want us to remember is simply this, that we need less fear and more faith in God. Last night, I talked about less of us and more of Jesus. And tonight, I want to talk about how we need less fear and more faith in God. 
There are two things I'm going to highlight for us in this passage. And hopefully you've turned to the Matthew 8 passage here. And the first thing that I want to highlight for us is that God's presence is enough. Can everyone say that with me? God's presence is enough. That God's presence is enough. Let's start reading from verse 23 and verse 24. Uh, And this is a story about how Jesus calms the storm. Listen to what it says. I'm going to read it from the ESV, the English Standard Version. It says this. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. Let's just pause here and just look at the story as it begins to unfold before us. You know, it's interesting that just like last night, that this story transpires in a boat. For these early disciples who were fishermen, this was probably one of the greatest opportunities for Jesus to minister to them. You know, I'm wondering for some of us, it might not be a boat, but I was thinking the car. Now, I don't know how many of you are Jesus worshipers in the car. I don't know. Maybe you worship Jesus this way in the car. But all I can say is that, you know, the car can be a great time of meeting Jesus. You know, when our kids were much younger, I would take them to school. And one of the things that we would do before we get to school is we would just spend time just praying. I would just lift up a short prayer. Sometimes we'll rotate. We'll go around and pray. And I would always end the prayer by saying, Lord Jesus, make us world shakers and history makers. And then in Jesus' name. And, you know, I thought to myself, it's kind of like one of those cheesy phrases. You know, oh, my dad came up, you know, world shaker, history maker. But it was really interesting because uh, when my oldest son, uh, he's applying to colleges in one of his essays, he wrote that. That ever since he was a little kid, uh, my dad and my mom would always say, you make a difference in this world, make an impact for Christ. And as I was thinking about that, I realized the car can become a great opportunity of ministry. Some of you commute maybe um, 40 minutes, maybe up to an hour. That's not unusual for being in Chicago. But I'm wondering, what do you do in that time? How awesome would it be if that 30-minute commute, or even in the train, some of you take the train into the city. What a great opportunity to be able to pray and be in his presence. And even the family that's in the car, just being able to minister. And I'm not saying you always have to have church in the car. It's okay to get, you know, quiet or sleep or whatever. But I'm just wondering the opportunities that we have just to encounter God in such a powerful way. Now, as we look into the story, we see that it transpires in a boat. But it's important to note what happens in verse, before verse 23, as we read. If you would just look a little bit earlier, you would notice in verse 20 through 22, that Jesus teaches about what it will take to follow him. Now, think about this for a second. So here's Jesus saying that if you want to let the dead bury their dead, And if you want to follow me, you're not going to have a place to even lay down your head to rest. What he's, in essence, what he's saying is that if you want to follow, there's no guarantee of any of these comforts in life. That you have to take up your cross and follow me. So after this kind of teaching, then in verse 23, we notice that he gets in the boat and he tells these disciples to come and follow him. And they do. 
I don't know about you, but after teaching like that, I'll be like, see ya, bon voyage, see ya. But they get in the boat. And it's interesting that in the other gospels account, uh, gospel accounts of the story, of the same story, we notice that it was not just Jesus and the 12 disciples, but when they said disciples, there were other people, followers of Jesus. In Mark chapter 4, verse 36, it says, Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. So you have to understand when he says, and the disciples followed him, and went in the, it's not just the 12, but there were other boats, other people who were following Jesus. Now, something to keep in mind is that this reference that we see here to the lake was the Sea of Galilee. And many of you know that in the Sea of Galilee, it was estimated that it was about 13 miles long and also by 8 miles wide. And it was a pretty large sea in this area. And it was very mountainous. And so there are many times when unexpected winds will kind of start blowing in and there will be storms. That's not really predicted or you think that it it wouldn't storm today, would it? And in a split second, it was storm. And in this particular storm, we see that it was very fierce. In fact, according to the book of Mark... It says the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. The New American Standard Bible of that verse, it says this, the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. So you could try to picture this. After he gives this hard message about following him, he gets in the boat with the 12 disciples and other disciples who were following him. And in the midst of that, there was a storm that came quickly. And then you will notice The water was coming in already. It was filling up the boat. I want you to try to picture this scene and this boat that was about to sink. I I, I like the New International Version translation of verse 24. Because it says the storms came without warning. The New Living Translation says it uses the word suddenly. And so for whatever reason, it was unexpected. And these are expert fishermen, so they probably have seen their fair share of incredible storms. But it says here, they weren't even expecting it. It just came so quickly. And I was thinking about this, and I realized, you know, whenever there's a warning of something that is about to come, then it's so much easier to be prepared. Are you with me? Can I get a good amen? You know what I'm talking about. Man, every time I hear, because uh, we get a lot of people f- in, to the University of Michigan from New York, New Jersey. And even though some of them were very young, but somehow they've been affected by 9-11. And you always hear these stories of incredible stories of somehow they forgot to set the alarm clock. So they didn't go to the work. Or somehow they got delayed dropping off their kids. And so because of that, they got to work a little bit late. And so they literally missed going into the office on the 80th-thumb floor where the plane crashed in. And just even recently in the news, if you've been keeping up with it, what happened in Paris, in France. I mean, if you knew something was coming, you would be better prepared. Somebody coming to rob your home. If you knew that that person was coming, 
I don't know about you, I'll be ready. <laughs> Southside ready, I'll be ready. <laughs> but you just don't know. I just remember uh, when we found out that Christina was pregnant and then it, uh, the third pregnancy, because we have three children, and in the third pregnancy we found out uh, after a couple, uh, several months that uh, she was going to have, we're going to have a, a, a daughter. I was so overjoyed. My wife's like, oh my goodness, she's going to be your princess, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm like, yes. And I, I'll still, I, I'll never forget, it was uh, that night, and it, it, it was one of the prayers that I lifted up was, Lord, don't let her come on September 11th. Because that's when she was estimated to come, around the 11th or the 12th. I go, Lord, I like 12 better than 11. And the clock struck 12, and she didn't come. I go, thank you, Jesus. Now it's the 12th. And I was, you know, sleeping and in and out. And all of a sudden, my wife's like, it's time. And brothers, no one can prepare you. Even though you've gone to two or three of them, it's one of those things where she would just go, bam, and you're like, "Uh, it's time. (laughs) You got to get up. So it was time. And I remember going into the hospital, taking her to the hospital, and it was in the middle of the night, and Carissa was born early, early morning, like four or five in the morning. And it was just such a great joy to bring her into the world. And what happened was we ended up calling after several hours and just her just resting and recovering. Uh, we ended up calling uh, my family, my parents, and also we ended up calling her family. Now, her mom, my wife's um, mom, my mother-in-law, she passed away because of ovarian cancer. And so she was only able to see Josiah, her oldest son, being born. And it was at this time when Christina's dad, my father-in-law, uh, he had uh, ALS, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. And so what happened was he was slowly and slowly getting worse and worse. And we saw his muscles kind of um, getting weakened. And he was so, just, he was anticipating uh, Carissa being born. Because she ad- he adored Christina. She was like a princess in their family. And I learned very quickly, she was the princess of her home. And he was just excited to have a granddaughter. And I I just remember we ended up calling, and his voice was very weak. And uh, he was so ecstatic. He was so thankful that she was born. And I remember just letting Christina rest. And it was about five, six hours later, uh, sometime in the early afternoon, I got a phone call from one of Christina's brother. And he said, uh, Dad passed away. And I, I, I just, it's, it's so clear to me. I still remember. I, I remember just my mouth just dropped. And I was thinking, I just talked to him like not too long ago. And I said, okay, well, I, I'll let Christina know. We'll probably have to talk again and figure out everything that's going on and everything that we have to do for the funeral and things like that. And I just remember hanging up the phone. And we knew that, I mean, he was getting worse and worse, so we knew that he was going to probably pass away. We didn't know how long he had. But it was just in that moment where joy of entering, bringing in this daughter and talking with him and him being so excited to have a granddaughter. And about six some hours later, we hear the news that he passed away. 
And I, I will tell you this, it was one of the most difficult moments of my life to tell my wife who just had and delivered our daughter and talking with her father six hours before and then to be able to now with the, as much courage as could muster up to tell her that your father passed away. And I, and it, I just had to do it. I mean, it's not, you could beat around the bush. And so I just held on to Christina's hand. And I go, I'm going to tell you something right now that's, it might surprise you. But I, I, I want to make sure that, you know, that you understand what's going on. And I just remember just telling her, you know, dad passed away. And just the change in her f- expression. And I share the story because I realized that even if you know that somebody is going to pass away, a lot of times it comes very unexpectedly. I'll be very foolish if in a, a room full of this many people that there might be some of you who've experienced a death of a loved one and maybe just unexpectedly Now, when you know that someone's going to pass away, you, you can prepare yourself, but not when someone is, passes away unexpectedly. Or you hear some bad news about one of your family members or somebody you, you love. And as I was thinking about the story, I just realized, yeah, what if they knew the storm was coming? They would have probably prepared better. They would have probably gotten things ready, but they didn't because they didn't know. You know, I think the amazing part of this whole story is that in the midst of this raging storm, we noticed that Jesus was sleeping. Now, some of you are thinking, man, he's, you know, my husband's a pretty heavy sleeper. Or something like my wife, she snores. You know, she's a really heavy sleeper. But, you know, every single time I read this, I don't know about you, but I just think to myself, there's no way he could have been sleeping. There is absolutely no way. And so sometimes as I read the story, I was thinking to myself, maybe he was fake sleeping. (laughs) Just to kind of check out and see what's going on. Maybe he was just kind of like, you know, in and out. But it's interesting because when you go back to the Mark account of the story in chapter 4, verse 35, you will notice that this was during the nighttime. And right prior to this, he was doing ministry all day. So those of you who have ever uh, worked long hours or you served or some of you who have ministered unto people, I mean, literally for a whole day and it's nighttime, you are exhausted. And so it makes sense that here he is and he is so tired that even a storm like this, he's still sleeping. You know, I was thinking about this and I said, you know what a good test is? A good test to see if you're really trusting in God and have peace about a situation in your life is that you're able to sleep. Some of you have no problem. You're trusting in God every night (laughs) and every afternoon. (laughs) Now, barring all maybe actual physical ailments or whatever, but I realize that oftentimes when we cannot sleep, it's because we're worried about something. Something is consuming us. And the beauty of the story is that we see the humanity of Jesus Christ. The Son of God, ministering all day, and it's nighttime now, and as they're on this boat, trying to get to the other side, the storm comes in, and he is so exhausted, so tired, that he falls asleep. 
And the reason why this encourages me is that it reminds me and hopefully it will remind us that Jesus understands what we're going through. In the book of Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 it says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Everything that you are going through, everything you're facing right now, Jesus in his humanity understands. But pastor, you don't understand, I was betrayed. I mean, if you study the Gospels more carefully, you realize he was betrayed like crazy. Some of the things that he faced. And the question is, how did the disciples respond to this situation? Well, let's read verse 25 as we continue on. It says this, And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Now, as you're reading this, you realize this is probably the best thing to do. But I want you to note, from the disciples' response, we notice a couple things. Quickly, I want to highlight this for us. First of all, they were horrified. As some of the disciples were fishermen, they probably saw, once again, their fair share of storms. But this was probably a storm that they might have never seen before. Or it came so quickly, that unexpectedly, that it surprised them. And for them to look at the storm and become scared, it shows you that this was probably a pretty bad storm. They literally thought they were going to die. You know, I, I realize sometimes we lose perspective, don't we? Those of you who are parents, uh, I hope I can get a good amen somewhere in this story I'm going to share. It's amazing how kids, they're like drama queens and drama kings. Come on. Yes, yes, Lord. Because I, 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 I see there's some of the teenagers like, well, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I, I see you. You are. You could actually try out for the Korean dramas, okay? You are a drama queen and a drama king. You know why? Because my kids, they, always, they will say things like, I'm going to die. And I'm thinking to myself, you are not going to die. Trust me. You're not going to die. Oh, I'm so hungry. I'm going to die. If I don't, no. I can make you fast right now and <laughs> prove to you that you're not going to die. Drama king, drama queen. And it's amazing how often we lose perspective. And I was thinking, like, even when our kids used to say that, in my mind, I'm thinking, hey, kid. There will be greater things in your life that are coming. That you're going to be like, I'm going to really die. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? So often in difficult situations, we always make the wrong conclusions. I don't know what it is. We always make the wrong conclusions. Mark chapter 4 verse 38 In that gospel account, the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Can I say it? Heck yeah. He cares. He cares more than you will ever know. Because some chapters later, you'll see that he's going to go to the cross and die for your sins. Does he care? He does. I'm wondering how many of us have made the wrong conclusion about God. Because of our circumstances. 
He doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me. He's forgotten about me. He's not faithful. Not only were they horrified and scared, but you'll notice that they were helpless. There are times when we come to a point in our lives feeling completely helpless and hopeless. And can I just say this? I think it's in that juncture of our lives that we begin to open up to God's control over our lives. Let this be an encouragement to you, to those of you who are facing things in your life right now. That a lot of times when you start feeling helpless and hopeless, that is the moment in which you will open up your life to the control that God has over you. And not the control that's like demeaning in any way, but his sovereignty over your life. Look what they said. They said, Lord, save us. This is a cry of desperation, knowing that they couldn't do anything. Fishermen who knew the sea. It's only when we come to this conclusion that we are weak and helpless, that we are not in control of our lives, that we learn to turn to God and trust Him for help. Can I just encourage us as we think about our lives? I know some of us are still young. Some of us are in our 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and older. Listen, every stage of your life, one of the things that God's going to constantly, as we talked about even last night, what he's challenging us is, will you trust him? And one of the greatest ways to develop that in us is when we face difficulties. You know, it's amazing when I try to minister to some of these college students. Once again, it's a maturity issue, and we don't see the whole picture. We just see that little part of our lives. And it's amazing because oftentimes when we face difficulties and hard circumstances, what do we do? We ask God, Lord, take it away. And I always tell them, that is the wrong prayer. We should never pray, God, take this away. And let me explain why. Because the thought that I give to people to at least think about is what if with what you're going through in your life, that is the thing that's going to produce more Christ-likeness. What if through what you're facing right now, it's going to make you more of a loving person, more of a patient person, more of a generous person, more of an honest person. And for us to then pray, God, take this away. What we're in the essence saying, God, God, whatever you're doing, not only I don't like it because I'm smarter than you, but I don't want to become like Jesus. And that's the challenge that I'm constantly facing. When I go through hardships, I'm thinking to myself, God, how should I pray through this? Because I know I shouldn't pray that you should take it away because I know you're trying to do something in my life. So I'm praying, God, give me the faith to trust in you and not fear so much. This is when we will start praying. That's why Tim Keller in his book, Prayer, he writes this. Prayer and helplessness are inseparable. In some ways, prayer is simply connecting Jesus to your absolute helplessness, your sense of fragility and dependence. Think about it. In our own frailty and our helplessness, as we begin to pray, it connects Jesus to that. The person who prays is the person who realizes that they have nothing within their own power to change anything. 
It's God who's in control. That's why even Richard Foster in his book, Freedom of Simplicity, listen to what he writes. He says, prayer frees us to be controlled by God. To pray is to change. There is no greater liberating force in the Christian life than prayer. To enter the gaze of the holy who never to be the same. Is never to be the same. To bathe in the light and quiet wonder and glad surrender is to be slowly, permanently transformed. There is a richer inward orientation, a deep hunger for communion. We feel as if we are being taken over by a new control center. And so we are. That's what happens when we face difficulties in our lives and we begin to see our helplessness and we realize there's nothing we can do. We're scared, we're fearful, but then we connect with God in prayer in that moment and we realize in that moment our hearts are being changed. That's why when you're scared and feeling helpless, that's the best time to pray. You know, I was thinking about this. I said, come on, disciples. It's always easy to look back and say, what's wrong with you guys, right? Because I was thinking, if Jesus is in the boat, you're going to float. I go, come on. If Jesus is in your boat, you're going to float. Can you turn to, say neighbor, turn to someone next to you and say, if Jesus is in your boat, go ahead. You're going to float. I actually wanted to write a rap on that, but anyway. <laughs> it's his presence. If he's in my car, he's in my house, he's in my life, he's in my workplace, he's in our church. Wherever you are, and God, Emmanuel, he is with us. That's when we realize no matter how difficult things are, he's there. The second thing I want to mention is that God's presence is is not only enough for us, but we will notice here that God's power is extraordinary. God's power is extraordinary. You know, sometimes we we totally forget. We know this in our heads. Oh, God, you're all powerful. But we totally forget. And the reason why we forget is we trust in ourselves. And I was thinking about why is it that we trust so much in ourselves? If somehow we think to ourselves, we we just can do it. And I want to tell you this evening, you can't. You just can't. You don't believe me, do you? Do you know how foolish we look? When we can't do something, but we think we can't, this is how you look. <laughs> this was a picture that was going viral, and I just picked it up and go, yeah, this is us. I can do it, Lord. I'm like, no, you can't. We're like this all the time. So how does Jesus respond to the situation? We've got to look at verse 26. Let's quickly look at verse 26. It says this. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the waves, and there was a great calm. Man, I love that. Jesus asked this piercing question. He simply asked, why are you so afraid? The New King James Version says, Why are you fearful? 
Can I just say this? I know many of us might know this, but remember, Jesus never asked a question because he doesn't know. He's not asking the disciples this question because he's like, gosh, I really don't know why you don't have any faith. I, I, just, I, just, I just can't get it. Just, just look at the Gospels. Every single time Jesus is asking a question, he's not asking because he doesn't know the answer to it. He already knows. The reason why he's asking the question is because he wants them to look at themselves. You know how many times God is asking us questions? Because it's not because God doesn't know. It's because he wants you to see what's in your heart. And all throughout the book of Matthew, Jesus asks and he addresses this issue of lack of faith in people by asking the question. Matthew chapter 6 verse 30. You know that whole section about the Sermon on the Mount. About trusting in God for everything. It says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will he not much more clothe you, oh, you of little faith. Matthew chapter 14, verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out. This is Peter walking on water. Jesus immediately reached out his hands and took a hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You know, it's important to understand why Jesus approached the disciples in this way. By mentioning their lack of faith, he spoke the truth of what was happening. You know, often we never experience God's power because we don't clearly see ourselves for who we are. As our weaknesses are exposed, as our pride is exposed, as our self-sufficiency is exposed, we're, as those things are brought into the light, that's when we will be humble enough to seek after God. That's why he's asking the question. Not that he doesn't know, but he wants them to see. I think one of the clear signs to really see if you're trusting in yourself or God is to really ask the question, what is it that you fear? I think fear is just a natural response to normal circumstances and it's a response to things that happen in our lives. But understand this, fear always deals with the unknown. There's a sense of uncertainty. And when we feel like we're losing something, there's this fear that comes over us. And the reason why we feel this in our lives, listen to me carefully, is because we feel that we're losing a sense of security and control. If you would just pause and if you were to reflect on all the situations where you were just completely fearful, I bet you anything you'll be able to tie it in to something that's connected to an issue of security or some issue of control that you want control over that situation. That's why to be fearless means that even if you don't know the future, even though you don't know the unknown, even though there are things that are beyond your control, you can still trust in God. Are you with me? That's courage. That's being fearless. So that's why what we fear is what we worship. This is where the idols come into our lives. What we fear is what we worship. 
Therefore, if we fear God, we'll worship him no matter what situation. I think that's why it's important to note, and this is important, because oftentimes you could just read a little section of the story and you realize in the bigger context we miss what's happening. It's important to note here that earlier in chapter 8, all the way from verse 1 through 22, prior to this verse 23 that we read, all the way through verse 27, Jesus, listen to me, Jesus already proved and shown and displayed his power. Because you will notice all throughout those 22 verses, he was healing diseases. There was a man who had leprosy. There was a man who was paralyzed and Jesus healed him, his power. There were people with sickness and here is Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law, this fever as we even talked about last night. He even casted out demonic spirits, delivered people from demons. So for 22 verses in this chapter alone, he has demonstrated his power. And the disciples were with him. They saw it with their own eyes. That person being healed, the paralyzed man walking once again. And now by performing this miracle, Jesus, what he's doing is he's authenticating his power and his authority over everything. The winds and the waves, they obey him. Just as his word. That's why even the psalmist wrote in Psalm 93, verse 1 and through 4. He says, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and is armed with strength. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. The seas have lifted up, O Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters. Mightier than the breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Amen? Greater than the storms, greater than the waves that are coming in because it is firmly established upon the throne of God that he rules and he reigns. So now he is authenticating his power and authority of over everything on this earth. So how does the disciples respond to this miracle? As we closed in verse 27, listen to what they say. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this? That even the winds and the ocean obey him. I want you to notice here that the disciples were amazed. You know, in the original language, when you study that word, it means to admire or to marvel, as we saw here, and to wonder. There was a sense of being dumbfounded of what just happened. That's why I like the message translation. It's the ghetto translation. I love message translation. Listen to what it says. The men rubbed their eyes astonished. God. My God. They were just like, oh my goodness. Cannot believe this. This was a supernatural work and an intervention by God. You know, whenever there's a supernatural work of God, there's something that happens beyond our human control, people are constantly amazed and we're left to wonder. 
That's why, listen, to bring sometimes the greatest praise unto God is to allow people to see your helplessness and weakness so that when they see a transformation, they realize it's sure, it's sure, it's not him. It's not her. It has to be Jesus. But somewhere along the line, we think that we have to do all this stuff on our own. Change ourselves and make ourselves look really spiritual. We've got to do this and do that. And in a sense, it's good to be obedient and do certain things. But I want you to think about this for a second. God is sometimes most magnified and glorified when we're able to display our weaknesses and our helplessness. And then we turn to God. And when God intervenes, they'll realize you serve a mighty God. You worship an incredible God. I'm wondering how many people will come to know Jesus Christ in our churches if we would just boast about our weaknesses. It's not about taking out all our dirty laundry, but it's coming to the reality, God, I really don't know what to do in this situation. It's beyond my control. And I know that in this room, there are a lot of people here who can share endless stories of God just intervening and showing himself to be so powerful. And it's not you that deserves all the credit. It's not me that deserves all the credit or any of your pastors or leaders, but it's Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Because he's the one who's changing us. He's the one who delivered us. That's when we see God in his power. This extraordinary power. I'm wondering what would happen if we had this kind of perspective with our situation. Wouldn't it change the way we look at things? And I was thinking instead of complaining, we'll be cherishing Christ. Instead of whining, we'll be worshiping Christ. Instead of getting angry, we'll be adoring Christ. Instead of turning away, we'll be treasuring Christ. In fact, this, this boat, the ship became a sanctuary for the disciples. That's why once again, Psalm 107, verse 28 through 31. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storms to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Calming the storms, hushing the sea. Let us give thanks to the Lord for what he has done. In closing, I want you to notice that earlier, we see that it was Jesus who gave the orders to go to the other side. I don't know if you picked that up. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 18, if you just go a little bit up, you will notice in verse 18, this is Jesus saying. It says, now when Jesus saw a great crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. This is my crazy thought. I'm wondering if Jesus already knew that the storms were coming. And how fearful the disciples will be. 
and therefore to teach them about his power and his presence, he allowed them to go through the storms to learn the lesson. As I mentioned last night, God is always purposeful in everything that he does. And he wants to receive the maximum glory as we become more like his son, Jesus Christ. God's power is extraordinary. So once again, the one thing as I shared earlier, we need less fear and more faith in God. And to do that, can I just give you some practical things to think about as we walk out of this place? First of all, praise God throughout the day. It doesn't mean you have to sing because maybe your voice isn't that great. It's okay. But just to praise Him. Just to say thank you, Jesus. Just to acknowledge that He's there. Just to acknowledge He's with us. In fact, in our church, I keep on trying to encourage our guys at least five times a day. Just, just praise God for something. You're breathing. You're walking. You're driving. Because when you begin to praise Him, your heart begins to be filled with worship. And no matter what you're facing, you realize, God, you're still in control. Second thing is this. Pray for a God-sized vision. You know, we say God is powerful. We, we say that he's extraordinary in all that he does. But you know, our prayers don't reflect that. When was the last time you prayed something really crazy? And crazy is not like, Lord, give me that little. No, I'm talking about like crazy, crazy. Cray, cray. We're talking about something that is way out there. Lord, give us the city of Chicago. God, give me, give me my whole floor at my workplace. Lord, may every single person in my family, my extended family, my aunties and uncles, may they come to know Jesus Christ. Some of us who are in a midlife, don't think that your golden years or your best years have gone. I feel like that sometimes when I'm on the basketball court, playing with our sons, and I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like, it's bad. Do you know why? Because in your mind, you still think like you're 21 years old. You still try to do moves like you're 21, but your body don't respond that quickly. So your mind is moving as a 21. Your body is responding like a 40-something. And so you know what happens? You trip. It's, it's really bad. And then your sons and their, their kids, and they're like, <laughs> such a nasty sight. Let me just encourage you with this. There are so many great people, men and women of God, who serve God in their later years, the latter years of their lives. You might be in the 40s, 50s. I don't know how old you may be, but let me just say this. Will you pray some God-sized vision and to say, God, whatever, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want my family to do, we're yours. And the reason why we do that is that because God's presence is enough for us. And we realize his power is extraordinary. So no more fear, but greater faith in God. And lastly, participate in God's work. 
And the reason why this is important is because as you're praying God-sized vision and as you're praising Jesus throughout the day, what happens is as you begin to start now serving and doing things that's part of God's kingdom, you know what it does to you? It just continues to encourage you that, God, I'm part of something that's awesome. I'm part of something that's transforming lives. I don't know about you, but it doesn't matter what we are doing in some sense. It really doesn't matter. But I'm going to tell you this. When you know that whatever it is that you're doing that is impacting lives, it makes it so much worthwhile. Amen? If you can just see that God, even just greeting people and say, oh, no coffee you know, in the sanctuary, that, that's a good thing. <laughs> I share that because I, I think this brother, he was like the hospitality cop. But he was so nice about it. He's like, oh, pastor. I'm like, oh, do I... No coffee in the sanctuary. Oh, sorry. You know, I'm like, praise God, he's doing his job, you know. So many different ways. Oh, by the way, I think there's refreshments, right? Because some of us were talking last night and just getting blessed. And we totally forgot there were refreshments downstairs. Did they bring it up? No? Keep that in mind. <laughs> I'm going to close with this video. Uh, Elisa, she's this uh, girl who's blind. And she talks about faith. And not having fear. And I think it just brings everything that I'm trying to say into perspective. And may we go forth from this point on and just say, God... Help us to increase in our faith. Because there's going to be a lot of fearful situations that we'll face. Things that we'll go through. But trusting in this great God is worth it. Once again, if Jesus is in your your boat, we're going to... Amen. Let's, Let's stand together as we close here. I'm going to ask us if we could just bow our heads and close our eyes. And believe it or not, all of us right now or at one point in our lives, we were blind. We're blinded because of our sin. And the way we looked at the world and ourselves And even God, it was so distorted. But when the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ somehow found his way into our hearts, just like John Newton said, I was once blind, but now I see. And oftentimes we, we see the wrong things, we can draw the wrong conclusions. And what God wants is for us to have this, this faith. Regardless of what you're going through, what you're facing, that's bringing fear into your life, that God is stronger. God is greater, He's bigger. And so often we settle for the small little things and 
when God is saying, I have so much more for you. Some of you might have come through the invitation of your friend. And maybe you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you are living with fear. Maybe as I described, some of you can't even go to sleep because of so many things you're worried about. But right now, Jesus is in your boat. And he's making his presence known to you. That his presence is enough. And he wants to show you his power, his extraordinary power. Because he could transform your life. You just need to confess humbly and say, God, I'm helpless. I'm horrified. I'm scared. I just don't know. So many things happening around me. I need you. And you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and your life will never be the same. There are some of us here who have been followers of Jesus for a long time. And maybe for whatever reason, something happened that caused you to turn away or your heart getting harder. And maybe tonight you came here not by accident or not because now your spouse is able to babysit the children, but you came here on this night because there's a purpose. And what Jesus is saying to you is that even though you received him as Lord and Savior, that maybe our walk with him hasn't been where it should be. We've been settling for little hills when he wants to take you to the summit of these incredible mountains. And we settle for less and God is saying, I have so much more. God, I just pray that you'll open up our eyes, our spiritual eyes, so we may see. Lord, there there are waves that are coming in and enclosing within our our lives and it's overwhelming us and Lord instead of releasing and trusting in you Lord we're trusting in ourselves and it's causing us to be more fearful and to worship other things other idols in our lives that brings us into deeper sin and hinders us from seeing who you are I just pray that tonight that you will open up our spiritual eyes to see you lifted high above your throne being established over the earth that you rule and reign over our lives and over our churches and just over this whole city and over this whole world. So we're praying, Lord, less fear and more faith in you. And I pray that we will will come to you humbly and pray tonight so that our perspectives can change. We'll feel your presence and experience your power for your glory, for your honor. Come Holy Spirit. Before we're led into some worship and prayer, can I just invite us, let's just, let's just be honest before God. And it's all right if you just say, God, it's been hard to trust in you. It's been hard to have faith. I haven't spent time with you. You've, you've been, I feel so distant from you. Just say those words. Speak it out. And just allow his presence to come and touch you. Because it's not what we do. Because it's already done for us. And all we have to do is have faith and believe. So I just want to give us just a few moments here. 
just to be able to confess that with our mouth. Can we just do that? Wherever you may be, let's just confess that with our mouth. We need you, Lord, tonight. We need you tonight.